0: So hello and welcome to Beyond the Buying Buttons podcast dedicated to omni-channel offerings. We saw during the pandemic that bricks and mortar stores were changed into micro-fulfillment centres. We've regularly reported on a return to the high street. And what Click & Collect is really allowing for retailers to have both an online presence and a physical presence and not really losing out. For such insights, I'm not alone. I'm joined in the studio by Internet Retailings Editor-in-Chief, Ian Jindal.
1: Hello. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you. And I just, this episode is slightly different from what we've done before and we've not got anybody dialing in, putting their opinions on it. It is just me and Ian having a chat about the joy of click and collect.
1: Well, not just the joy of click and collect. Uh, I mean, it's really about how retail is working, tying together all of the supply chain and operational capabilities that uh, the consumer now expects. It's of the everything, always easy. Hybrid. Hybrid, omnichannel, etc. Whatever you call it, it's just becoming good retail.
0: Retailers are having to do it all, aren't they?
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, we've seen... You mentioned the pandemic, which uh, I think we're legally obliged to do at least once every podcast for a while. You know That definitely made people uh, try new ways of connecting the customer's cash with their products, uh, and some of those are persisting and developing.
0: The interesting thing about the pandemic, if we're playing podcast bingo, is physical retail stores were shut up, they were closed, people couldn't go to them, so they were Turned into ship from store micro fulfillment hubs. Stores are now open again. People can go back to them, but retailers are still seeing the potential and the opportunity to use their shop fronts as a part of their supply chain as well.
1: Absolutely. It makes sense uh, in terms of you know, using each customer touchpoint to the best advantage. So a store is great to see a product, maybe choose, get advice, you know, be certain you want to buy it, but it's not always the best place to do the physical buying or to queue or to wait or you know you're walking past a store, you remember you want to get something, but you see it's full of people and you can't be bothered to you know, <laughs> to queue. So really it it's the store is used for experience and as a physical reminder it's there. But you therefore may want to do something like order at your desk, pick up as you pass on the way home. So you know, I spent uh, uh, the last week in New York where we were doing quite a lot of uh, store visits. And what was remarkable to me was that uh, maybe two years ago, just the pandemic, I'd make a little note in my notebook saying, oh, offers curbside, offers click and collect. Because it was a new thing. Whereas this time around, it was, is there anybody that doesn't offer curbside collection, courier delivery, etc.? It has become ubiquitous. And so the consumer expects it, but they also want integration. And I think this is where the new frontier is. So if I'm sat at a desk on a desktop browser, I'm looking, I'm ordering, I'm thinking, I add to my basket, I might complete the purchase on my phone as I'm walking somewhere I want to pick it up from outside the store tell them I'm there with my phone but if I want to go in and change my order I expect the order management system and the uh, member of staff to be able to change in flight my order at whatever stage it is so I think it's gone beyond these points of service as separate activities it all does have to be integrated in one
0: it does all have to be integrated. in. as a consumer, you are demanding more clever technology, more sort of interesting things from both your online shopping experience and your in-store. Um, click and Collect, as you said, has it, come on in the last two years. It's no longer having to stand in that queue to get an actual person to go off and get your whatever it is that you're purchasing. There is dedicated spaces with dedicated Keypads or touchpans or whatever that you can pop four digits in, and somebody will bring it to you. And mm-hmm. you, if you're antisocial, you don't have to deal with anybody other than the screen and someone handing you a prepackaged, nice baggy. <laughs>
1: of course, and you know there there are um, new modalities coming out. So you know, if you look at Dunelm, you know where you know, a third of their customers are picking up orders, but also shopping. Just think about their product. If you're buying four cushions, a duvet, and a flat pack of sheets, we all, I bet everyone listening to this thinks, oh my God, that weighs a ton. I don't want to schlep around a hot store with my existing bags, shuffling, waiting, getting out. I'd much rather, I know I want them, I know what they look like, I'll just pick them up on the way out. But I am in here to have a little look at X, Y, and Z. So this combination of shopping... I think humans have evolved uh, a very, uh, very careful uh, analysis of do I want to carry it or not. <laughs> and I think that's playing out uh, in Omnichannel. But but another thing um, that I think is becoming interesting is the shop in store, but not carry home. So if you're an Amazon app user and a Prime member, then you're familiar with being able to go into an Amazon uh, fresh store, or you know the uh, the Paying Ghost or the Amazon Ghost stores, but if you go into a, a Whole Foods now, then when you fire up your Amazon app, you can say I'm in Whole Foods and enter store mode, and so your app becomes like a hand scanner. It'll show you the uh, you know the the offers specifically for you. It'll help you find things, but you can also build your order. Let's say, please deliver it to me. Pay, just walk out. So it's like, <laughs> if you like it's the best of in-store shopping with no carrying. So I'm just wondering whether we should rename Omnichannel Retail to being Zero Carrying <laughs> Retail. Because this is the aim of every human, is not to be encumbered by the stuff you're carrying to and from a store.
0: Not having to log your shopping home is is surely a plus. But then... To bring it back to the UK, Audi have just scrapped their home delivery of their special buys, their their middle L, the Thursday drops. And they used to do an alcohol um, delivery service, which I didn't even know they did. And they are focusing. <laughs>
1: I'm shocked. She says, if you're in the studio, you could tell. You did know about it.
0: <laughs> why why have I been going into store when I could get their Gavi shipped to me? Oh, never mind. Um, but they want to focus on click and collect offerings in which you drive your vehicle up to a little coloured space in the car park and then someone brings it out to Unitary pre-packed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't want people to be shopping online. They still want them to come to store, but then they're quite happy to get a member of staff to, to nip out and... Pack your vehicle. Yes, I think this is
1: something that uh, Accardo, Tesco, and the early home delivery companies found. Is that again? I'm I'm warming to this anti-carrying theme. (laughs) Uh, You'd find that you know if you look at someone's online order, it would be for many kilograms of cat food, dog food, (laughs) mineral water, and then big bulky toilet paper and cereal. And so the vans would be full, but the margin wouldn't be maximized. And so they would manage it by saying you can't have more than X bottles of Evian delivered, assuming you still buy uh, mineral water, of course. And same with heavy weights. They pushed you back into store for those or more frequent purchasing. I think it's the same with Aldi, where as a supermarket, you're looking to balance margin, spend and frequency into the optimal Combination for you, and I don't think that just getting twenty-four bottles a week of Gavi delivered to home <laughs> is necessarily the optimal model.
0: Oh, yeah, I'll just to do click and collect now. <laughs> to step away from grocery, how does this apply to to fashion, to consumer electronics? We know Curries have reported that a fifth of their online orders are now picked up in store. So you look online, you do all your research, you. You read up on how many pixels it's got or some really technical phrase that I clearly don't concentrate on. <laughs> but then you still nip into store to pick it up. Is that so you can look for accessories? Is that so you could get expert advice so you, so you sound more coherent on a podcast? Mm. It's Will curbside or these sort of pickup options work for for other types of retailers?
1: I think so. I mean, Coase is interesting because it, it's two propositions existing at the same time. So the first one is, I don't know anything about computers, but my grandson says I should get one. (laughs) Please help me. Or, you know, it might be someone saying up a small home office. And so you have the expertise and the full service, which a carbon-based life form in store is very good for. But then if it's your third computer, or you know exactly what you want, they happen to have it at a very good price, then you don't need all the rigmarole of going in and chatting to someone. It's like, just excuse me. I'll have that one. And so I think what we see with Curries, again, I'm saying this from an external perspective, is that they are managing those two business models side by side, recognising that a customer may be an expert online purchaser for one thing, but someone who needs help for something else. So, you know, somebody who is quite comfortable with computers but doesn't know what HDMI ARC (laughs) 3.1 is on a telly, you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't just order telly online because I just don't know what I'm buying. But other things you might well do. So you can see how that would work there. Whereas with um, fashion, a lot of the driver for buy online from source stock is is all about I'm not going to go all the way in and risk them not having my size slash color slash that one in the sale. I'd much rather just reserve it. So there's a lot in fashion of just making sure you digitally tucked it under your arm uh, so you know it's going to be there
0: and there's some retailers that offer a facility to check stock in your local store so you don't make that journey the fashion one's interesting when it comes to a company like Primark who have very rarely had an e-commerce offering and Christmas just gone introduced a click and collect for child wear items in select stores yes and in the same breath stressed that they will always be, have always been, and always will be a sort of high street retailer. So it's a way for them to dip their toe in without offering a full e-commerce service. If you
1: look outside a Primark store, provided it's not raining, I guarantee you there'll be 40 people looking exhausted, sat on the floor with six bulging (laughs) bags full of clothing
0: are you going to bring every point back to carrying
1: (laughs) actually i'm sorry but i think this has just become my theme of the year um but i think with primark if they get you to the store you will leave with bags of swag, and so that's the business model now what i think was genius about the uh, children's wear is that children tend not to go to primark on their own they, it's a parent that comes with a credit card who then buys the whole family. So I think if you're going to you know, do anything, then it's a low-risk, high-yield approach. But I think what Primark also shows is that if you don't have item-level, real-time stock visibility, then you're just building in disappointment for people. And so, again, when you look at a typical Primark, there's just hundreds of people grabbing product walking around the store i mean if you look at the queue in a primark they probably have you know five hours worth of inventory just standing in line waiting to be bought so the risk of them saying oh yes i've definitely got it when actually it may have been grabbed and in the queue uh, i think does show some the limits of omni-channel when you're in a very fast-moving situation you can't have real-time stock
0: so there is potential pitfalls and downfalls with a sort of ship from store check stock online then before you head to the store to pick it up there there's some challenges with say fast fashion Mm -hmm. and other products that will move quickly
1: yes i think this is where we're seeing the renaissance of rfid which is qr codes have come back (laughs) RFIDs come back, flares will be back in no time. They are back. So are they right? So there we are. Um, I think where the RFID is now getting interesting is this combo effect of it's cheap enough to put into clothing so you can track in real-ish time. But also it can encode the manufacturing information, the sustainability information and even help with resale later. So it's as if you know the um, so that didn't really make economic sense two three years ago has come together uh, with two or three use cases all at the same time.
0: To pick up on that resale element, it is a really interesting one because it is really sort of kicking off again. It's something we discuss on our pages of internet retailing and delivery X basically daily. Um, there is also a circular economy episode of this podcast. By the way,
1: yes, I fully recommend. It.
0: Yeah, it's a great one. But there is now direct consumer-to-consumer elements to consider. Um, And in a a drop-off and collection sort of environment, there is stores that traditionally wouldn't have offered that that are now becoming these little hubs for people sending to other people rather than any business being involved. Mm -hmm. And it can be... A traditional sort of corner store that has now got this pick up and drop off facility. It can be, as you found out, a traditional photography store recently that you can go in and drop something off for that to then be dispatched.
1: Yes, uh, we were just talking about Snappy Snaps before we uh, started recording, and how they're a DPD drop off and collection point. So, you know that 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 that's important. Uh, but I think if you look at the consumer to consumer element not many people have rfid readers no at least they would admit to it and it's often difficult to understand when you get the code back from the rfid what it means so uh, the downside of rfid is it's it's not an open system so we're seeing with a lot of uh brands generally higher end because they can afford to invest in it things like woven qr codes sewn into the product so whether it's Golden Goose or Lafayette 148 um, or Another Tomorrow, we're seeing these now and they're, they're kind of embroidery level. They're beautiful things. So they'll survive washing, et cetera, et cetera. But then they have um, an authentication role as well on the product. And as someone was telling me last week, the other benefit is that um, if, say, for example, you have a coat or jacket from a couple of seasons ago, and it can no longer be repaired and is going to be recycled the ability to see what the components are of that before you shred it or take it apart improves the proportion of recyclability so again once one person starts putting the markers in with its RFID or QR codes it opens up other benefits within the whole either consumer to consumer or post consumer or even just within the selling chain.
0: So for these retailers, it's this technology, this system, it's not just about their stock management today. It's their stock management, if they do have a resale thing, if they do have a recycling, a repair offering, they can track it right through. They've got visibility of their inventory across all stages. Forever. Forever <laughs> forevermore. Mm-hmm. Um, just to come back onto the sort of partnership element of it, we are increasingly seeing retailers team up with other retailers, other types of businesses to allow for people to pick up at their locations. We mentioned snappy snaps. IKEA have partnered with Tesco's. We've already touched on nail and bulky objects and not wanting to carry things. So IKEA will deliver to your local Tesco's and then you can pick up from your vehicle. John Lewis have partnered with Garden Centre Dobbies. Again another location and Mm -hmm. it's sort of this teaming up that we're seeing it's not just driving footfall to your own store it's driving footfall to other people's
1: yes and i mean you will notice in those cases they're non-compete yes so it's not like you know dobby's is sending you to someone else's garden center (laughs) or vice versa Uh, we're not quite at that level of uh, open-mindedness yet i think where the the fun now comes in is a combination of balance and capability so if you order something on amazon say i'd like to pick it up at a at, at a locker then amazon's uh, system would look at the lockers available the size of the product and the packaging and whether it's even possible to have it there so if you then take something like a john lewis having things delivered to a waitrose then the two problems are are the systems sophisticated enough to realize you know, you can't have, for example, a super king bed <laughs> delivered to your waiter's corner store. Answer is yes, they are. Uh, but the other thing then is the balance within the store, where are the queues? So when you have, you know, three people a week doing click and collect, you have a little terminal next to the coffee machine. But at Christmas, mm-hmm. when there are more people um, collecting their clicks than buying food, it changes the whole balance of, let's say, a little waitress store. So I think there are new dynamics that um, this combination of store fulfilment and partners and so on bring that have to be put into the retailing profit equations.
0: And to touch on that busyness and staff having to deal with sort of queues at Christmas because everybody's doing click and collect, these sites often offer returns as well, free returns to store, which is particularly interesting at a time where e-commerce retailers are starting to charge or at least deduct the shipping costs from a return. So that puts an additional strain on these stores. People are also coming back with Mm -hmm. things that they bought online and these stores have to offer a returns facility.
1: And again, it's worth thinking about returns and the modality of returns because there were nice returns, there were not nice returns. So if you're returning something because it's broken, you're indignant, you're unhappy, and you want to talk to someone to solve a problem, then you don't want to queue in front of a kiosk and end up shouting at a kiosk. Um, other ones, you're thinking, oh, you know, I bought three things and I want to exchange them or I'm interested in something else. That's a very joyous return because you're really doing a, a cyclical form of shopping. And there are other times when, you're just dropping off and you don't want to be harangued by somebody or upsold or whatever. It's just in and out. And so I think the uh, what we'll see is a developing sophistication around the modalities of return. There's not just one in-store return suits all. You have to think a bit about you know which variety of returns you can offer. and in fact, instead of having a separate area that says, you know returning, horrible customers queue here we hate you Uh, there's now every every service touchpoint is also a returns touchpoint is also a sales and service touchpoint
0: excellent I'm just thinking of that poor member of staff at the at the bad returns kiosk they're going to have to hire someone that's particularly strong-willed
1: I don't think it's uh, necessarily the uh, most favoured career option
0: (laughs) We've previously touched on Amazon and their delivery lockers and not being able to fit a double bed into them. Amazon's an interesting one because they tend to set customer expectation. They did with their prime delivery offering and the, the fact that you could have something next day guaranteed if it had a little tick. Mm-hmm. What we're seeing now is... Is that speeding up even more to people wanting, especially groceries, but also pharmacy products, within thirty minutes, and that has created this beast of a a sort of mini sector: Q-commerce, quick commerce, rapid commerce, ultra rapid,
1: rapid like, delivery, rapid, de- oh,
0: whatever you want to call it. But it is something that's sprung up Um, instead of people having to go and collect from the co-op co-op can hand it on to a bike messenger or a robot to deliver to you within 30 minutes you don't have to carry and
1: you don't have to carry (laughs) although I'm going to start complaining about having to open the door too many times
0: oh no (laughs) but you also get it within well sometimes 15 minutes if you're in the right area
1: I mean there's a part of me the curmudgeonly grumpy uh, bit that uh thinks is this necessary mm. and is it sustainable and i'm sure in you know dense urban areas yes it is but it does have all the hallmarks of investment-led growth plays to dominate a sector without necessarily believing that there's enough room for everyone so if we'd been having this conversation in october last year there would have been 10 companies operating in London. Mm. We're already on six, maybe five. Yeah. As some have gone by the wayside or merged, uh, been, been acquired, acquired by yeah. others. And a, a number have also modified their service propositions. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely an attraction, but in a downturn where the things they sell tend to be indulgences for an urban elite. Uh, as Topper, I think it's a vulnerable thing. Uh, but you've also got then the, um, the Uber Eats, the deliverers that are getting bigger and more platformy. Yeah. So there's definitely something there, whether it's 15 minutes or an hour. You know, it's still, uh, it, it's still rapid. But again, if I go back to my carrying thing, you know, it's only enough for a meal or some snacks. You know, it's what you can put on someone's back mm. rather than a bed, a duvet you know, 10 kilograms of dried dog food.
0: <laughs> <laughs> for, for the things, like for the platforms such as Deliveroo, Uber Eats, which, as you said, are becoming technology platforms in themselves, they have another offering. They have a backup. They started off doing something different and it's mm. they are just sort of changing their business, evolving their business to, to latch onto this little bit of the market. And supermarkets from Asda, Tesco, Co-op, we cover them daily when they've signed up a new one. Boots, mm-hmm. Lloyd's Pharmacy, they seem to be benefiting from course. it. But it is going to be a market that shrinks very quickly as the sort of venture capitalists stop investing swathes exactly. of money. Because I don't think it's sustainable fin- financially when you're dealing with small... That's
1: right. I mean, bits. we did we did look at the market size and it is there's around a billion of orders billion pounds of orders you can see being courier level delivery. But if you look at the business plans of the surviving five or six, they each want a two billion market. And so there isn't 10 billion. So Mm. it it I think there is a there's a place for it. But I would come back to the retailer decision, which is these platforms are relatively easy to plug into. So it's it's a routing that says, you know, if this and that choice Give the order to the queue delivery company, but you then need in store a place where the couriers can come in without having to queue or getting people's way. And then there's another pick, pack, handover, scan. So it's easier than it would be to, if you're doing it yourself, but it does have an impact on your operations. And the fact that in a small store, you mentioned the co-op, they have a very flexible staffing approach. Where you could have a member of staff who is, you know, back office. On the till, customer service, shelf stacking, picking and packing, and even sometimes walking to do a local delivery. So the impact on staff and operations means that you have to be more flexible, even than all the people you you plug in.
0: I think all those options that we've covered in today's episode from. The click and collect, the carb side, right through to rapid, it does require you being flexible with your staff and and sort of being flexible with your business offering. Really,
1: hmm. I think the where it's going to need to evolve is that the the effort of delivering, excuse the pun, on the <laughs> new service, the cost that has to come down. And if you look at all the supermarkets, they're all very active, piloting here, piloting there but we aren't seeing the rollout at scale yet. So it's great they're learning. It's great it's being tried. But I think in order for it to be normal business, it just has to be easier to run day in, day out. And so the trends in the industry are towards open collaboration, open systems, ease of commissioning and and, uh, uh, the order management side, but then also the operational aspects as well. And each time a customer enjoys a trial they'll then expect that to become normal everywhere yeah. else
0: and going forward where where do we see the omni channel store evolving is it down the quick commerce route is it more pilots and trials or are they going to be like Aldi and Primark and stick to getting people into stores even if it is to pick up an order
1: well i think the general answer for the last 20 years in digital is just yes <laughs> All that. It's, it's not either or. It's all of the above and more, <laughs> and I think we'll see this with whatever we're going to be calling uh, omnichannel. So I think that's one thing. But then the the other thing to remember is that if you have a specialist clear business model or position, then you just have to do your thing, full stop. Use what's relevant, but you're no more no less. Whereas if you're a general retailer that's pretty much undifferentiated. You literally have to do everything excellently all the time just to remain in the game.
0: Well, thank you very much for your time and your insight into not wanting to carry things.
1: Never carry.
0: <laughs> that is the future of omni-channel. offer services in which no one has to carry things. <laughs> but thank you very much, Ian, and thank you everybody for tuning in. That is this episode of the Beyond the Buy Button podcast, focusing on Omnichannel. I'm Katie Searles.